Are you ready to put down that drink or drug for good? Are you struggling to maintain your recovery from addictive behaviors? Do you need help with a family member or loved one who's in early recovery or battling addiction? Get the help and guidance you need by arranging a recovery recharged phone session with me, Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx, Certified Life and Recovery Coach. Call 1-800-889-1757. Make an appointment today. Or go to my website, pushybroadfromthebronx.com, and click on the link that says Recovery Recharged. Don't wait. Get the help you need today. This is Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx, on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Welcome, welcome, Transformation Talk Radio listeners. My name is Ellen Stewart, and I am the Pushy Broad from the Bronx. Welcome to my show, Recovery Recharged, with my illustrious co-host, Dr. Pat. How you doing, Doc? Oh, I'm really excited about this show. I mean, I'm like jumping up and down. I'm just screaming for it. <laughs> no pun intended. No pun intended. I'm telling you, after we finish this, every parent in America and in the English speaking world is going to thank us. Trust yeah, me. Boy. I'm telling you, I we want to talk about something so important today. Parents are going to just celebrate. I met this man back in 2007 when this book was first written, and since then he has written three books that are bestsellers. The gentleman that is with us today is a man by the name of Hal Runkle, and he is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He is also a life, love, and leadership coach coach and a New York Times best-selling author of three books, the first of which we are going to discuss today. And I am going to show it to you because I know we're on Facebook Live and I got this back in 2007 direct from the author. So this is one of the hot off the presses copies. It is wow. called Scream Free Parenting. And when I first got it, you were just... a. It was a tiny bit different than yeah. when you look now, but it's okay. And at the bottom of this, it says, raising your kids by keeping your cool. So we really want to see what that's all about. Mm -hmm. And Hal Runkle has made over 1,000 media appearances, including regular spots on NBC's Today Show. He currently co-hosts The Mindset Shift on WSB in Atlanta, where he lives with, and get this, the only woman he has ever dated, his wife of 28 years. That's a story in itself, right, Dr. Pat? It we need to do a podcast just on that. Ladies and gentlemen, the author of Scream Free Parenting, Hal Runkle. Hal, how are you today? Great to I, have you. Well, after that introduction, I'm doing fantastic. I, <laughs> I feel on cloud nine. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, and it, it is so good to see you again it it is amazing that we met what 16 or 15 14 years ago yes and uh and uh that was great it's an interesting to see I've, I've not seen a hard copy version of the original version like that in a long time 
Wow. So this, this, this is a collector's edition is what you're saying. Sure. Here, which is what I <laughs> did, have. I, did I at least sign it for you or no, you did didn't. I just throw no. it at you? <laughs> you just threw it at me. Yeah. Take this book, please. <laughs> Take this book, please. I am so thrilled to talk to you about this. I have a myriad of questions and I know Dr. Pat also has a lot of questions. The first thing I want to know is you say in this book that your mission, and, and this is such a big mission, is to calm the world one relationship at a time. Mm-hmm. Is that what made you write the book? Tell us about that. Uh, you know what? If I were more honest, I would probably say to calm my world first. There you go. You know, if I were more honest about it. And it's because what's interesting is since that book came out, we have since uh, in 2017, we did a 10th anniversary edition. And I updated it and wrote, I don't know, uh, a good 50 more pages of stuff. But I also told a story that I didn't tell in the first version. The first version starts off with this funny story about me losing it with my two-year-old in a Waffle House restaurant here in Atlanta. And the whole time, unbeknownst to me, I was still wearing this stupid paper hat that the Waffle House, the grill man wears. And I'm trying to get him to take me seriously. And with the stupid hat on my head and my wife pointed it out to me and it's a funny story and i wanted to say look we're all in this together we all scream at our kids it's easy but there was a more serious story that actually occurred before then that i decided in the 2017 version to actually lead off with and it, it's i was hesitant to tell it because it really is about uh where i came closest to doing the worst damage a parent can do and mm-hmm. The, it was my daughter was was uh, born surprisingly we didn't think we could have kids and so uh, my wife went to re- she was a teacher and she finished her teaching contract so I stayed home I was in graduate school so I stayed home with her for many many months which was great and I still cherish it she's now 24 and we have this amazing relationship and I think it was forged in those moments but she was the worst colicky baby that the doctors had ever seen and it was three hours every day inconsolable to where the only thing I could do was bounce her. I had to carry her like a football, like face down and my hand kind of on her stomach and bounce. I couldn't bounce on a seat. I couldn't rock in a chair. I had to stand and bounce. And so my quads and my biceps were great, but it was every day. And to what, and I would try and test myself. Okay. How you can do this. But I was young. I was 24 and uh, 25. And it was just, I didn't know what I was doing. It wasn't very mature. And one time I lost it. Then really and lost. Did, what did that look like? What do well, you mean? Well, I stormed into her room and I dropped her into her crib. Now she landed on a pillow, but then it got worse. Because then I screamed at her through gritted teeth, shut the blank up. Veins popping on the forehead, this child we never thought we could have, and I'm cursing at her in the worst way possible. And then it got worse. I noticed that my hands were going down kind of like this. Mm. And thankfully, for whatever reason, I had the wherewithal to recognize, okay, this is how child abuse happens. This is how shaken baby syndrome happens in these moments. And I saw my hands more than I saw her, which was just an incredible blessing. And so I just backed out of her room. I backed out and I went outside and I screamed up to the heavens, to the universe, to whomever. I just said, I don't know what I am going to do, but I'm never going to do that again. And I wasn't thinking that I was going to create a program called Screen Free Parenting several years later, but I'd be lying if it weren't kind of that, that was kind of where it was conceived. And it was just this, I had to come up, if I'm not going to hit or yell, what am I going to do? Because that's all I knew growing up 
what am I going to do? Because I don't trust myself. So it is honest. I wanted to call him. I, I had to find a way to parent that prevented me from doing that. And that's really what began to develop out of, uh, of what became screen-free parenting. Mm. Well, that was certainly an epiphany for you. And thank goodness yeah. you didn't go any further. But tell me just exactly what it means to be screen-free. Does that literally mean just not yelling at all? I mean, I mean, God, I mean, you got to let it out yes. somewhere. That would well, be a real problem in my Italian family. <laughs> yes. And it's amazing. I, I have gotten uh, the opportunity to speak in 20 countries uh, around the globe. And it's amazing how almost every single culture will use that as their, you know, explanation for it. Exactly. Italian or New Yorker, or, uh, you know, I'm an East Texan, or it's interesting. The only people who don't use their culture that I found to justify yelling are the British. But <laughs> we all do. There's a University of New Hampshire study that says 98% of all parents have unleashed a psychologically damaging outburst towards each of their children before the age of five. And yeah. we know the other 2% are just lying about it, right? <laughs> we, we have all screamed at our kids. And yet, it is about lowering our volume, but it's about, it's about far more than that. Yeah. I, the book really should have been called Emotional Reactivity-Free Parenting, but that wouldn't right. even fit on the cover, right? It's a mouthful. And so I said, when we mean, what we, when we say scream, what we mean is any form of emotional reactivity, meaning I'm not choosing what I'm doing next. I'm just reacting instead of responding. In so many ways, uh, and I'm actually I'm getting fitted for a tattoo on my arms. It just says "respond more" on this one and "react less" on this one because that is my mantra yeah. for life. Yeah. Because responding takes the human part of our brain. It takes us learning to pause so we can access that part of our brain instead of just the reptile and mammal parts of our brain reacting into what's going, whatever's happening. And when we get reactive, in whatever way we get reactive, because sometimes it's screaming, sometimes it's a three-day silent treatment. Sometimes it's getting really petty and passive aggressive. Sometimes it's hitting. Sometimes it is, is being cold and distant. There's lots of different ways to get reactive. Sometimes it's taking the, our act, the actions of a child so personally that we develop kind of this resentment towards them that spreads out on all of our other, other relationships. But the reason why we got to focus on that is because when we get reactive, it just makes things worse. It actually, it's worse than that. It actually creates the very things we were hoping to avoid. One of the seminal stories was my two-year-old son. I was coming out of the top of the stairs. We moved into a new house with this two-story foyer, stairwell attached to one wall, left a banister on the other side of the stairs with a little ledge on the outside of the banister. Everybody know where this story's going. So I come out of my bedroom, top of the stairs, and there's my two-year-old climbing on the outsides of the steps. Wow. Just his toes on that little ledge. And he's just hanging on to the banister pickets as he climbs oh. up. By the time I see him, he's halfway up. So his feet are about five feet off the ground, nothing below him but, but hardwood floors. So, okay, Mr. Scream Free, what the heck do you do now? Now, <laughs> I wasn't planning on going downstairs. So I could have just kept on trucking down the hall. Hope it works out for the best. You know, hope you <laughs> don't hear a splat. You know, and I hear parents all the time say, well, I'm not a screaming parent. I'm a laid back parent. Well, that's just another form of screaming because what you're doing is saying, I can't stay connected to the situation and stay calm. So I disconnect from the situation. And usually the laid back parent is married to an openly screaming parent who's having to make up for your laid backness. But <laughs> what am I, my, my, my integrities, my, my son's in mortal danger. What does my integrity tell me to do? I have to stay connected, but what happens mm -hmm. if I stay connected, but I can't stay calm? 
what happens if I give in to the panic that I'm feeling and I lunge for him or I yell? It just increases the chances that he'll fall. Mm -hmm. And that's every interaction we have with our kids. When we freak out, we actually increase the chances of the very thing we were afraid of happening. And that's why we focus so much on it's not about my kids' behavior, it's about mine. You know, I understand completely, and, and you hear, you're telling some great stories, but talk to us a little bit more logistically, okay, yeah. in a situation like that, all right? I get really upset because my child is doing something that is driving me crazy, right. and in order to keep myself from opening my mouth and making a big mistake of some kind, what's the immediate response or the immediate situation where I can stop? that emotional reactivity what should i be doing well if you're waiting till the heat of the moment to suddenly learn this it's a little challenging it is because what you have to do is one of the hardest things to do which is learn to pause mm-hmm. we have to i think it's the essential human thing because no other creature can do it learning to pause when we're feeling all of those feelings when we think they're driving me crazy i always think about the old zig ziglar line nobody can drive you crazy unless you give them the keys Right. Right. But how did I give them the keys? The way we talk about it is, you know, kids push our buttons. And what's amazing in other countries, other languages, they still use that metaphor, you know, push my buttons. It's because we all have the same technology. Right. But why did I how did I give them such easy access to my remote control? How did I hand that to them? That's what I want to get curious about before those moments Mm -hmm. so that I don't give them that much power, because think about it. I'm giving them unbelievable amounts of power if all they have to do is act like a kid and then I join them and act like a kid as well. So it has to be this commitment that no matter what, I am going to be an adult. And because when we say we've lost it, right? And we all have we lost it with my kids. What's the it in that sentence? I've really come to believe it's my adulthood. In the heat of the moment, I've sacrificed the very thing that differentiates me from my childhood from my child. And then I'm wondering why they don't respect me. Well, why should they respect me? If I'm taking their actions that personally, like it's an affront to me, that it is is somehow a signal about my entire life, what the fact that a four-year-old is acting like a four-year-old, then I've given them all the power. And so no matter what comes out of my mouth at that moment, what I'm really saying are three words, calm me down. I cannot handle that you're doing this behavior. So Mm. I need you to stop that behavior so that I can regain my composure. It's basically like saying, look, I need you to behave better because I can't. And then we wonder why they don't respect us. Mm. You know, I want to ask you something, and I know we're getting ready to go to break here. And I'd like to talk with you about it when you come back, Hal. You know, one of the things that you talked about, it's my favorite term, emotional connectivity. And, you know, it's such a uh, it's a concept that we blow by because we don't really understand when we're talking about emotional connectivity. We don't really understand that what we're really talking about is learning elements of emotional things like empathy, things like compassion. And I want to talk about that. You mentioned it and I know you're going to get the tattoo and I want to talk about the difference between emotional connectivity, what that means, and emotional reactivity. 
because there is this place in the pause. I think this is such an important topic. We have a, ho- a new host and her show's name is The Pause. But we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll let everybody know how they can find out more about how, how they can take a look and I don't know, maybe get some kind of signature version of what's going on. But more importantly, to really look at the introspective parts of ourselves you know, that happen as we are building up that momentum to have an emotional reaction. And by the way, if we're having that reaction with the kiddos, what do you think we're doing at work in other places? Right, Ellen? Everybody, let's take a short break. We will be right back. Fabulous conversation. 1-800-930-2819. If you're getting a little screaming going on and want to get a little help here, give us a call. 1-800-930-2819. We're going to take a shorty when we come back. Are you emotionally reactive or are you ready to try something different? Maybe a new pair of shoes. We'll be right back. Can't get enough of I Have Soul Radio? Join Psychic Medium Jamie every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Transformation Talk Radio. Take a deeper look at the raw side of spirit. Nothing is off limits. Connect with lost loved ones and explore these vulnerable subjects with the compassionate guidance of psychic medium Jamie. You are not alone. Eye of Soul, Thursdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, only on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Are you ready to find out who you really are? Are you ready to have fun and listen to the soul part of yourself? Indulge in a deeper meaning with Laura Goldstein, host of Coffee with the Universe. This show will awaken that true self hidden deep within you and will get you energized on who you were created to be. So go ahead, grab your cup of joe and experience Coffee with the Universe with Laura Goldstein on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Welcome to Soul Activation Podcast, a world-class broadcast of insight and inspiration with the renowned healer and coach, Suzanne Alexandria. In this series, she dives deep into the magical sea of you, to the place in you that's ready to activate. Tune in live every second and fourth Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Are you ready to put down that drink or drug for good? Are you struggling to maintain your recovery from addictive behaviors? Do you need help with a family member or loved one who's in early recovery or battling addiction? Get the help and guidance you need by arranging a recovery recharged phone session with me, Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx, Certified Life and Recovery Coach. Call 1-800-889-1757. Make an appointment today. Or go to my website, pushybroadfromthebronx.com, and click on the link that says Recovery Recharged. Don't wait. Get the help you need today. This is Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx, on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Have you heard about shifting the collective vibration and consciousness on the planet? 
Join me, Kimberly Barrett, on the Sharing Love and Light show every first and third Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern at TransformationTalkRadio.com to explore the depth of vibration and consciousness on our planet and learn how you can shine your love and light. To learn more, visit SharingLoveAndLightShow.com. One of my favorite songs, Crosby, Stills, Nast, Teach Your Children. And today we're going to be teaching parents. This is Ellen Stewart, the pushy broad from the Bronx. I'm here with my favorite co-host, Dr. Pat. And we're here with Hal Runkle, whose book, Scream Free Parenting, is the topic of discussion today on Recovery Recharged. So, Hal, let's get right back to it. Dr. Pat mentioned emotional reactivity. So let's talk a little bit about why that may be so hard to do to say to stay more cool and collected and try to calm down a little bit let's talk a little bit about that how yeah it is the only way i've ever seen it actually work is we have to be completely dedicated to keeping our composure more than changing their behavior and when because when we're so focused on changing their behavior we will eventually lose it because it's just going to instigate their own natural desires to not be controlled and okay so what you're saying is i can't tell my kid to do something and expect him to do it right i can't change his behavior the only thing i can change is my reaction to that behavior right. is that what you you're can't saying? change you can't change his behavior without his cooperation Okay. And that's the biggest thing that parents, like I talk a lot about giving our children choices earlier than you're comfortable with, not totally open-ended choices. We talk a lot about space and place, and that's giving our kids space, which means choices that are theirs and letting them know their place, which means you don't have a choice here. And parents are always, well, you can't do that early on, or they don't know how to make choices. When you tell a child to do something, who decides whether or not they do it? They do. You can threaten them, you can whatever, but you cannot make a child do anything, not without their cooperation. So if all we're doing is yelling commands at them all the time, then we're telling them you need to make a choice, but we're not empowering them. We're expecting them to make a choice without empowering them to how to make choices. And yet, at the same time, the whole goal of parenting is to help our kids become good decision makers. That's the one thing I've learned uh, going around the world. Every parent in the world wants the same thing. We want a 25-year-old who can make good decisions who can take responsibility for their decisions, right? And we want that. But how do we help them get there if all we're doing is trying to control their behavior because I need their behavior to manage my anxiety? That's what the, and so we end up putting them, the least mature members of the family in charge of the whole family instead of, you know, your child's talking back to you, talking rudely to me and say, you know what? You can talk rudely to me all you want. I cannot control what comes out of your mouth. Now, was I tempted to try and control what comes up? Yeah, I want to remove his tongue, but I can't do that. So I just give him the power that he already has. Look, you're in control of what comes out of your mouth. You can talk rudely to me all you want. Here's what's going to happen if you do. One, it's not going to make me upset. Why? Because you're not that powerful. Two, it's not going to change my mind. And three, if you keep it up, then with my son years ago, you're going to lose your Game Boy for 24 hours. So go right ahead. <laughs> Call me what you want. Because what it says is I'm not trying to control your behavior. I'm trying to help you control your behavior and that if i have stumbled upon one little stroke of of uh genius is this this basic recognition it's not my job to manage their behavior it's my job 
to help them manage their own behavior. And it starts by me managing mine, no matter what. And without that kind of commitment, it, then I'll just continue to be reactive. So you turn around and say in the book that the greatest thing that parents can do for their kids is to focus on themselves, focus on themselves as parents. Yeah. Tell us exactly what you mean by that and why it may be hard for parents to do. Oh, it's, in, it's incredibly hard for parents to do because it feels selfish. Yeah. You know, that statement all right there, focus on myself. No, I'm supposed to focus on my kids, you know, and that's the first lie of parenting is that as soon as you have kids, your life is essentially over. Now it's all about the kids. Everything's all about the kids, right? You do, you, your whole world is all about, it. I mean, look at our minivans with stickers emblazoned all over them <laughs> with the kids' names on the stickers shouting to the whole world who really owns the van, you know, and the rest of our lives. And so it's all about them. And so what we do is we inevitably, we build up this resentment because we believe that lie that it's all about them. But we believe we build up this resentment, like, you know what? And every parent's had this conversation with themselves, these kids. They do not appreciate all the sacrifices I make on their behalf, you know, and every time I trained myself, every time I had that question, and I still, you know, have it is, okay, Hal, is that why you did this? You know, is that what you're in this for? I mean, my daughter's 24. She's coming to visit in a couple of weeks. Am I expecting her to whip out a notebook and say, hey, dad, I want to set aside some time because I made a list of all the things I've never thanked you for. And so I'm really hoping to go down. No, it's not going to happen. Never going to happen. <laughs> Right. Never. And that's not why I'm doing it. I don't want him think, thinking about me. I want her thinking about herself and her life. But it comes down to this. Whatever we focus on, we will try to control. And if I'm focused on my kids, then I will try to control their behavior. All we're trying to do is reclaim the focus back onto the only one I can, which is me. And my job as a therapist, as a coach, your job as a host on radio and any conversation, my job is to make sure I have the lowest heart rate in the conversation. Because that's what good leaders do. And so you, it's so hard. Your kid, you just found, you know, your kid's been vaping for two years and you didn't even know it. Right. You go to confront him and you're furious. Why? Because you're scared. But you're also like, how did I miss this? You're beating yourself up. You're wondering all those things are going on. Well, pay attention to all those things and say, okay, what do I need to do to be calm in this conversation? Because I really have come to believe, especially with teenagers, that the entire act of parenting is summed up in the job of teaching a child to drive. They, Explain that a little bit. Well, I remember my daughter got her learner's permit and when she's in the driver's seat and I'm in the passenger seat and I'm realizing, you know what? I'm completely at the mercy of the decisions of an immature inexperienced driver. So, but I don't have a car with the steering wheel, you know, a driver's ed car with a steering wheel on my side. So I literally do not have control. And if I tried to wrestle control, reach across there, it actually would endanger us both even more. So what do I need to do? I need to think about, okay, how do I want to be influential, which is different than control. Influential means I want to hopefully inspire her to do better herself, not take the wheel out of her hands. Mm -hmm. But how am I going to be influential in that very stress-filled situation? Well, anybody who's ever taught a kid to drive knows you got to be the calmest one in the car. And so I think of that in every interaction. Hey, dad, I ran out of money. Hey, dad, uh, or I discovered, you know, that, uh, you know, daughter or son's been looking at porn forever, or they've uh, lied to me about in, in, you know, what is it, in-app purchases on uh, their phone. I had a dad who discovered a $5,000 bill, you know, his 13-year-old because he's been buying on a video game. What do they need for me in that moment? 
because I got to think about what's if I'm going to yell to what end just to make them mad. Cause what I really want is for them to think about their behavior. But if all I'm doing is screaming at them and yelling at them, guess what? They're not thinking about their behavior. It's all they're thinking about is the yelling and then screaming. And they're thinking right? about what a blowhard dad is. Yeah. Right. You know, and I don't want to make, I don't want to give that to them. If I, what I really want is for them to consider themselves. Yeah. But that means I got to consider myself first. You know, I got a question for you, because one of the things that, you know, along the way of my corporate work um, that I discovered is what, I don't know, academics call it spillover. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Basically what it is, is you're yelling at your kid, you're yelling at your employees, that kind yep. of deal. Yep. Um, and, you know, there's a message that goes beyond this, especially in what you talked about, how when you're referencing emotional reactivity. And here's the question I want to ask you about, because, you know, this can turn into what I like to not think about addictive behavior, mm-hmm. where it is your go to. Yeah. And it's not just your go to for a child that (laughs) is colic and doesn't even know why you're doing it, but it then becomes a pattern. We go from it being a, let's just call it a behavioral situation to then it becomes a pattern. Then it becomes what most people look at a level of instability. And then in my eyes, it becomes almost an addictive behavior because you cannot not do it. And can you talk to that? Because most people just see it as, what's the problem here? Yeah. I'm just like, I just raised my voice at my child, right? Mm-hmm. But then it's really not just that, is it? No, and I, and Ellen can speak to this probably better than me, but physiologically, it absolutely, absolutely becomes an addiction because it stirs up some of the yeah. neurochemicals that we then get addicted to more of. It stirs up dopamine because I'm getting in this anticipation and rush of it. And it's like complaining. We can get a kid addicted to complaining because it's like we're walking around with a sense of injustice. And it gives us this pseudo sense of rush. And like, I got the legitimate complaint, right? And we get addicted to that rage because it makes us feel good. I mean, all addictions come down to what can I do to make me feel better in this exact moment? And how can I continue to do that? And then, of course, they turn on themselves because the behavior doesn't deliver as much as it did the first time. And so we got to do more and more of the behavior. And that's how it becomes a pattern. And Here's the worst part in terms of parenting. Well, and also with leadership, because I work more with companies and parents these days, and it's, you're exactly right, Dr. Pat. It's, it's such a similar process, but it works sometimes. It gets compliance in the heat of the moment because they're scared of us or scared of the power we have over them. And then we think, well, that's going to control their behavior and that's going to rot and it's going to, you know, calm my anxiety and get us past the sales hurdle that we have at the end of this month or whatever. It doesn't work long-term. But it works, can work really well short term. But what I ask leaders all the time is, do scared people make good decisions? <laughs> ask, scared... uh, ask Captain Tully landing that plane Please. down there oh, in the Hudson, the best, folks. Hello. One of the best Hello. examples of scream-free ever. Okay. You know, unbelievable. Yeah, and, right. Yeah, scared people don't make good decisions. And sometimes, so parents are like, well, I was scared of my parents. And that, you know, that's what kept me on the, the right, right? And do you? you love your parents and do you love being with your parents? Do you have an amazing relationship with them? Did you back then? Mm. What parents really want is for their kids to respect them, Mm -hmm. but you can't force somebody to respect you. 
you can make somebody scared of you. You can't force somebody to respect you. Yeah. And the uh, second you try, you've actually given them reason not to respect you. I was just thinking. Oh, sorry. I interrupted but, you. Uh, no, I was just thinking that because, you know, I want, I would love for you to follow this. So I had an emotional reaction today and I did. It was a little emotional reaction, but I kept, I kept it to myself. Like, was it like what hit me? And then I calmed myself down about it. I got, I get articles and I got this article from, I think, Gallup. And the article was really interesting as it started to talk about make people management your organic growth strategy. And I was like, ah, that's really cool. And then I scrolled down. And boy, have I heard this before. This was my reaction. What is the boss to coach journey? Okay, so this whole thing is talking about how bosses should become coaches. And I'm looking at this and, and, and it's a whole deal. It's like a whole program about it. As if if you become a coach, you're never going to tell your team what to do. You know, and I think sometimes we run into this problem when we step over a little bit too much and we forget we are actually parents, mm. you know, uh, well, as bosses, I just did a podcast for a business <laughs> podcast and they were trying to say, is there a parallel between parenting? And, and here's the deal. Good parenting is good leadership because That's neither it. good parents nor good leaders baby their kids or yeah. employees. So people think, well, no, you're not parenting your employees because that's babying. <laughs> no, that's bad parenting your employees, right? <laughs> good parenting is leadership. And I like the model of teach. I do teach CEOs how to coach, but that doesn't yep. remove them from being the CEO and the chief decision maker. Right. But I will say this, my brother-in-law's bought companies, built them up, sold them, done extraordinarily well. And he's just an amazing leader. And he said in 20 years of being a CEO, one time he said, well, we're doing this because I'm the CEO. And he knew yeah. he had failed as soon as he said it because oh, what he God, was yeah. doing, yeah, he was relying on his positional authority. Mm -hmm. But every time you use your positional authority to leverage a decision, whether at home or at work, you lose a little bit of that positional authority in those people's eyes. So when parents say, because I said so, that does not increase your kids' respect of you. It does not. No, in fact, it. I think it immediately sets up a um, a defensive situation, and it sets it sets your child um, pitted against you. One yeah. of the things that I took from your book is um, you talk about giving kids or even giving employees their their space or their ability to to have their opinions while still maintaining authority. And I yes. think that's the same thing that happens in leadership as well. To be in charge is you put it, uh, means to not only be there in a calm way, but to motivate and inspire. And that's something that a boss can, can do. And that's something that a coach does as well. And that's something that a good parent does as well. So I think then in that way, it's all linked. And that's why, you know, the books that you write, you know, have the same theme by calming our own anxieties and taking back our own control. We seem to be um, um, happy enough with ourselves to let people function in their own capacities. And I think without, yeah. And because we stop seeing everybody as a threat, right? Mm -hmm. We stop seeing every voice of dissent as a threat. Mm -hmm. um, I, I kid you not. So I've got a client right now, client system, very wealthy family in the Northeast that belongs to one of the most exclusive golf clubs in the world. And the grandfather is uh, so reptilian because reptiles, all they do is see everything as a threat. 
like snakes have snake babies and then they don't see them as babies. They can't form family relationships. They see them as threats to the food supply. So this guy, he, I, I, I couldn't believe it when I heard it, but uh, his 12 year old grandson is a good golfer, but he will not no longer take him to play golf at the club. Why? Because he's a good golfer. Yeah. He so he's me. jealous of his 12-year-old yes. grandson. Instead of bragging to everyone he can meet, yeah. my 12-year-old just beat me. This kid's amazing. No, yeah. he's saying, no, I can't take him. He's going to beat me. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. And that means it's just reflective of so many of us in leadership positions that we have the position, but we're so insecure yeah. in it yeah. that we need people to behave a certain way to kind of reaffirm the position that we've already been put in because exactly. we doubt ourselves so much yeah and how let's play this out for a minute if we could because yeah. this really talks to your book you know this really talks to screen free because what you just described is a power struggle yeah and think about the power struggle you have with a three-month-old infant <laughs> like that is one of the most comical visions you can actually create like a little comic about it yeah. but it's not it's not funny at some level because you actually are in this battle this power struggle and that power struggle turns into power over and that's what you just described the action it's one thing to scream and be like up in a face of a baby who can't hear you but what you described is also part of screaming but there's no screaming. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yes. It's, it's, it's an it's an action that expressed that I have power over you. Which usually means, and I need it because I don't have power over me. <laughs> wow. And that's really important. Wow. And I need it because I don't have power over me. And right. that's exactly why wow. keeping the focus of attention on ourselves and learning from ourselves and where our ego lies and where our own self-esteem and confidence lies is how we project um, our uh, right. our views on other people. And, it's, mm -hmm. and, and we develop these weird, bizarre things that maybe we <laughs> grew up with, like a uh, leader never apologizes. I'm like... <gasps> What are you out of your mind? That is the easiest way to earn the respect you've been craving from the people you exactly. lead. When you screw uh, up, you go to them and say, hey, dude, you know what? No matter what you did, you deserve better leadership from me. I screwed that up. Yeah. And it's like, no, it's okay. Say, no, it's not. You deserve better from me. Yeah, so I, I did that this morning. I did that to two producers this morning. I actually hired three new producers. We have four, four producers. And, you know, everything I learned in recruiting just went out the door when I hired three people at the same time. Okay. Right. <laughs> yeah, rule number one in recruiting. You never hire more people at one time than the number of people you actually have. We had one and I brought in three more, wow. but what a great way for personal growth. But I had to apologize this morning uh, on, on the show that came before this, because it's my responsibility to know that there are two shows, one client, and it's my job for new people to let them know, hey, you're both working on the same thing. But you know, if you practice that a little bit, it really is humbling. Mm -hmm. There's a freedom to what you're talking about that is so deep. If people could learn what you're teaching, and I, I know we're talking about kids, but I follow the statistics on abuse. And I follow, this is you know an area that I grew up with and I studied it and so forth. What's been happening in the past 18 months in the quiet of people's homes, we have to figure out a way to give people permission 
to get some safe help in this arena, even if they do nothing but read your book. (laughs) Mental health is having a moment, which is great. I don't like to just keep it to mental health. My my new phrase that I'm trying to make popular is self-health which is physical health, mental health, and spiritual health. But it's got to yep. be, again, I've got to be, that's got to be my number one focus is being the healthiest self I can. Mm. And it does feel selfish, but we're scared of being humbled. And yet, I, I love you talk about this power struggle. Ultimately, the power struggle is within me, is who is in charge of me? Yeah. Is it my anxiety? Or is it my principles? And that's wake up every day with what are, what are, what is driving me? And if I say somebody else is driving me crazy, then it's actually, it's not them. It's my anxiety about their behavior that's Mm -hmm. driving me. And anxiety is such at an all time high for a number of reasons. And we can show the stats, right? And it started well before the pandemic, but this has gotten obviously elevated quite a bit, but anxiety is so, so high. And because you know what, it's, it's like this thing where, we're supposed to need people and they're supposed to need us. And then that's what makes a good relationship. And I think that's the biggest lie in the world. It's, it's one of the biggest lies about parent or about marriage is that we're supposed to need each other. You know what? That's like two ticks without a dog, just sucking the life out of each other. That is not a model for a relationship, but it's this need. I, you know what? I want my wife. I don't need her. I don't need her to validate my position because usually what that means is I don't feel secure enough in my own position. And so what I'm trying to help my clients do is go from insecurity to inner security. That's the journey. Because when I have inner security, then I don't see everybody as a threat. I don't need to control anyone else's behavior. I don't even need to control my kids because why would I? Mm -hmm. They need to control their behavior. Who's responsible for my kids? And that's what this is the biggest lie, I think, in all relationships is that I'm responsible for someone else. But here's the problem. I take responsibility for someone else. I take responsibility from them. And then I complain when they don't take responsibility for themselves. But why should they? How can they if I've been taking responsibility for them and their behavior and their choices their whole lives? That's not my job. My job is I am responsible to them, not for them, because they have to be responsible for their own behavior. And that's my message to leaders. It's, It's actually the subject of my new book. And it's this relationship formula called two is greater than four. Meaning my relationship, my responsibility to you is what I have to concentrate on because I can't take responsibility for you without taking it from you. And so my, if my job is to help people become more responsible, then I've got to first do it over me. That's a very particular distinction and that really helps us a great deal. So Dr. Pat talked about, of course, her business and what she does with her employees. And and um, and we're also talking about parenting and mm-hmm. in, in the world of recovery and recovery clients and all the parent, parents that I deal with, there are specific problems that come to them. And most of the time that comes from teenagers and yeah, the yeah. most direct questions that come to me. I thought maybe we'd do some scream free workaround so parents can get some immediate help here. Let's awesome. Say parents parents have determined that their child is smoking pot in their room and they go to discover it and they don't know how to approach their child and get them to stop. Talk yeah, to me yeah. about how that parent can go about this in a scream-free way. 
Give us an idea. Well, the first thing, of course, is you got to pause. And because when you discover that it's all your anxieties, all your fears, all your worst suspicions about your own parenting, then you go to places where what else am I missing out? What's going to happen when we begin to prognosticate their whole future is now ruined, all those things. And it's really hard to pause and calm ourselves down. My first thing is I want to talk to somebody else before I talk to my kid. I want to talk to somebody else who has a little more objectivity. Now, does this probably include my spouse? Yes. But I think I want to talk to another parent. I want to talk to my, I have a coach. I've always, I have three different coaches, business coach and life coach and leadership coach. And I want to talk to them because I want to process through it before. Otherwise it's just, my anxiety is going to take the lead. And maybe a recovery coach. And a recovery coach. Right. Yes. And, and Ellen, you and I know one in common that is my best friend. And he's one of the best in the world. And so I talk to him. And then because I want to think through strategically, not just reactively, because what do I ultimately want for the behavior to stop? Yes. But who do I want to stop the behavior? Not me. Mm-hmm. I want them to stop the behavior because that's the only way recovery ever happens. Right. You know? So what can I do? What moves can I make that could increase the likelihood that they will take responsibility for their behavior? Now, does that mean I allow things? No, I got to control what I can, but can, how much can I control? I can control my environment. I could do drug testing of them. That might absolutely be the right move, but I can't control what they do outside my house. You know, I've got so many parents over the years that, you know, I have life 360 and I'm controlling, I can see what my kid's doing at any time. And I'm, my question is, okay, until when, you know? And just because you can see it doesn't mean that you can do something about it. Exactly. Okay, so I'm watching my child get high. So now still I have to, I'm still faced with what do I do about it? <laughs> what do I do about it? So can I have a mature conversation with my child about this? And tell them genuinely about my concerns. And especially, you know, pot is a tough one because it's now legalized in so much part of the country. And it will be across the country, I think, within five years. And I'm a big I, supporter of that. I hate criminalization of that, but not supporter of it with teenagers because it's terrible for the teenage brain. Mm-hmm. You know, terrible. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk to them about that. I want to help them understand there's freedom for you to do whatever at a certain point. But now I'm going to do whatever I can to not allow it in the circumstances I can, but ultimately I can't stop you. Mm-hmm. Only you, know, you can stop you. Uh, let me ask you about this, Hal, because yeah. this is a, a, a solution that one of um, a parent made who has over close to two decades in recovery, um, part of the recovery um, effort. And, you know, we know you cannot stop it, Yeah, but you know, these beautiful conversations, and believe me, she's had them. And you do things that you know need to be done, right? To say, right. we don't, this is not in my home, and this is the consequence if it's in my home. Right. And parents do that. And they don't have to do it screaming, Mm-mm. right? Most no. of the folks I know that are in recovery that have this conversation, it's not a screaming one, right? Because right? they, they know that doesn't work. But I find this new interesting approach now. And it is more than one parent doing it. It sounds odd, but they are doing random UAs, uh, uh, UIs, UAs, yeah, right? Uh, right? D- different term, different, <laughs> different term, different drug, I guess. Mm-hmm. 
And that's urine analysis. And, and so I find it fascinating how powerful this is. And yet some people see it as completely invasive. Yeah. I don't know, you know, like uh, having your 12 year old continue to smoke pot in your house. I don't know, like, but the effect of it is really interesting. And, you know, and it's not just like you do a random analysis without having conversations, but I'm finding around that issue, people are getting really creative. How? I don't know. What do you think? They are. Well, I found there's a dad that just said, look, when you turn, when you start sixth grade from sixth until 12th grade, doesn't matter what your behavior is. I'm going to randomly drug test you. Before anything had ever happened before there's any, he's like, my kids probably, I don't see them doing it, but here's, here's why he did it is it gave them an easy excuse to say no to their friends. Like I can't, my dad's going to drug test me. Exactly. Which was interesting. interesting. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. And if you could think about this tack is our job as parents in many ways is to prepare our kids for life without us, for the real world out there. And are there jobs out there where they're going to be randomly drug tested? Yes. Of course, there are. There are already schools, sure. public schools. There's no question about right. it. Oh, yeah. So what, I'm just preparing them for the eventuality they're going to do. Now, some people can say, well, that's just going to encourage them to get better at hiding. OK, here's I will always say this. Relationships are more powerful than rules. They always have been. They always will be. I want to yeah. concentrate on building my relationship with them so that no matter what their behavior is doing, I never want them to be so terrified that they can't talk to me about it. I would rather them tell me, yes, I'm going to continue to do drugs. You can test me. It's going to be positive. I'm going to, con- I would rather, <laughs> as long as we're still talking, then there's a chance. Now that doesn't mean you don't have rules. Doesn't mean you don't have guidelines. Oh, yeah. You don't get the car. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not right. And that's one thing is look, if you te- continue to test this, I'm, I can't, responsibly allow you to drive a vehicle. Now, here's another thing. And uh, Ellen, our common friend, we, we both did this with our children. David Blackwell is our common friend, who's a brilliant recovery coach. And he just told his boys, look, I know every treatment center in the country. I can get you into a bed immediately. If there's two incidences of you abusing drugs, you're gone. Why? Because I love you. That's why. And I don't want it. I don't want it to take a foothold. What you do after you leave is up to you launch out into the world. But until you're 18, I have the power to do this. Yes. And no matter what, okay, as a recovery coach myself, no matter what the purpose of the book and what we're trying to tell parents today and the purpose of the three, three books that you write is it's not about the problem that comes to you. It's how parents and how you react to the problem because there are different circumstances. I mean, you have parents that a kid has a messy room, a kid is talking back to you, a kid is staying out and and and, and, um, and denying curfew and doing all of these things. But what you're trying to explain to us is that if you go about it in a way that opens up communication and continues to foster communication and open that line then you may be able to see things in a different way and you may be able to still maintain authority and in the same time giving your kids some space and, and having them really understand some things. Right. Yeah? And it's ultimately, it's what leadership really comes down to is recognizing I don't have control. Mm-hmm. And when I give that up over anybody else, but when I give that up, when I have real control over me, then I have at least have a chance to influence. And that's what we want. 
So if parents think that thinks that they've they've been doing it all wrong and they want to be able to start again and they and they want to change, is it too late for a parent to change and start being a scream free parent? What do you think? I always say if you're asking if it's too late, then it's not too late. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Because there are a million tests that you're going to go through. Your kids are going to bring to you every day from now on, no matter how much you've blown it in the past. And we all have blown it. Every one of our kids. Maybe especially for professionals like us, our kids have to survive us because we are human beings who are completely flawed and we're going to mess them up. So here's one thing to do. The one thing I do always tell parents to start with is, okay, what is one thing you are doing for your child that you know they need to be doing for themselves? Just take one thing. You know, I'm still, you know, making their lunches or I'm still doing their laundry or I'm still waking them up. You're waking up a 17 year old. Come on. That's not, I, I was listening to these parents once uh, we were at a baseball game and uh, they were saying, well, I tried this and that hasn't worked. And I've tried this. And I'm like, what? And I'm like trying to wake him up. My 17 year old, he won't wake up. I'm like, well, what has he tried? I'm like, what do you mean? Well, you're acting like it's your problem. It's his problem to wake himself up, right? It's his life. So just think of one thing. I'm doing too much of, because that is actually crippling them and taking away their responsibilities. That's the first step is just think of one thing you're doing for them that they actually need to be doing for themselves and start there. Yeah. And also uh, take a step back and recognize parenting is the hardest thing in the world. It's the hardest job in the world. And we all expect to be able to do it well. It's, right out of the gate. The right out time, of the right? gate. Right. <laughs> it's the hardest job in the world. So uh, LeBron James has like nine coaches, you know, footwork coach, mental coach, conditioning yep. coach, right? Yep. Who am I to think I don't need a coach to help me with the most important thing I'll ever do? I have five coaches. I have yeah. to. Yeah, I, I, I do. I mean, I, I have I a big vision. Right yeah. I need, well, I need I play one. table tennis, so I got to oh, have that coach. That's just awesome. saying on that. I love that's that. where I need to, contr- to not have emotional reactivity. Exactly. Even with my robot. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up because this is the conversation, Hal uh, and Ellen, and we've talked about it a lot. If we were meant to take this journey alone, each of us would have had our own planet. Hmm. Right. Right. But we the message really today and what you're bringing forward for me is please don't be afraid to ask for help. Ellen, right? Absolutely. That's the number one thing. And then maybe that's the first thing that parents have to realize in order to change situations around. Yeah. Right. Just say, okay, I don't have all the answers and it's okay that I don't have all the answers, but I know where to get some help either with me or with Hal. So Hal today, do us a favor, tell us where we can find your book and where we can find you. Uh, book just uh, anywhere books are sold but amazon is the easiest place but uh screamfree.com is a place where you can reach out to me and i also i have a new website howrunkle.com but it's kind of in process but screamfree just like it sounds dot uh, com is the way to reach out and you can email me directly just how h-a-l at screamfree.com and i i love I, I hear from parents all over the world every week it's it's amazing the 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 Problems are kind of changing and because it's a new digital world that even is different than when my kids were growing up. And so there's constant, but the issues still ultimately remain the same is what am I responsible for? What am I not? How do I lead them? How do I uh, 
parent them better than the way I was parented. That's fantastic, Hal. Thank you so much. And also, if you need some help from me, the recovery coach, it's Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx. My 800 number, 800-889-1757. I'm still doing a half hour of free COVID stress coaching if you need and anything else you need. And if you want me to put you in touch with Hal, please reach out and we will do that. Thanks so much, Hal, for being here today. Dr. Pat, it's been absolutely wonderful. Thank you. You've been listening to Recovery Recharged with Certified Life and Recovery Coach Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx. Don't miss your next opportunity to let me help you recharge your recovery Let go of your secrets and change the way you think, feel, and act right here on TransformationTalkRadio.com.